Well, good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. Let's all stand together, join our hearts and hands as we sing out to the king, the lion and the lamb. sing together. God, you're so good.
truly amazing. The mercy that you have for us, the grace that you have bestowed, it's so undeserving. And yet you willingly did it. You willingly went to the cross and you paid the price for us so that we could have eternal life. Thank you. Thank you for that mercy that you showed on that wooden cross, that tree tree. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated as we continue to sing to him.
you to stand and find somebody you haven't talked to this morning and let them know that Jesus did that for us on the mercy tree. Amen. As you're making your way back to your seats and you're seated, if you're a guest here with us today, if you're a guest here with us today, we certainly are glad that you're here and we welcome you and we pray that you find this uh, an inviting place, a place where you can come and worship the King and, and hear God's word preached and proclaimed. And we just are so glad that you're here. And if you didn't get a chance to stop by the, the welcome desk that's right outside these two doors right here, just to its left, as you're leaving today, be sure to stop by there and say hello. And uh, I believe they'll have a gift for you. So if you're a guest, please stop by there and say hello. You can also fill out a communication card in the pew rack there in front of you and just leave us your name and address. And, and let us know that you have your presence today. We're glad that you're here. Let's continue to praise him today as we sing, praise the name of Jesus.
that grace that is greater than any sin we could ever commit. You've covered it. If we've turned to you and surrendered our lives to you, we're covered in your grace. Thank you so much for what you have done for us. We praise you, our blessed Redeemer. May Jesus be magnified as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. billion people on planet Earth. When you think about that, that blows your mind. When you think about the people that are asleep right now while you're awake, how in the world with 7.7 billion people can one of us be used to make a difference? It seems overwhelming to make a difference as one person, but do you know what? God loves to use one person. He loved one Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. He loved one good Samaritan that cared for someone. He loved one Paul and one Peter. And most importantly, he loved one Jesus. We only have one Savior, one Messiah, one only begotten Son of God. And God can use you and me as one person in the midst of 7.7 billion to make a huge difference. Hey, Michael, show us that Pepto-Bismol slide. Any of you ever take that stuff? Yeah, some of you. When I went over to India, we had a unique experience because, man, there's some wild food in India, I'll tell you that. Uh, hottest food I have ever eaten in one occasion. I wasn't sure I was going to survive. But we had a, a protocol that every day we would take a Pepto-Bismol in the morning and at night to try to just stave off whatever was out there. But tonight... In Difference Makers, you're going to hear about Pepto-Bismol. And so I want you to be here to hear about it. I think it's probably the best part of this session. The Pepto-Bismol moment. 
And I want you to be here to hear it because we're going to be talking. We're going to continue to move towards, you see the door behind me? We're going to be moving out into the community on August the 21st. We're going to go door to door. 50 different teams, at least 50 different teams from our church are going to go door to door. Uh, Mitch Templeton and uh, Zach Stiles are going to lead in the charge of that. Your deacons are going to be asking you to participate, maybe a husband, wife, maybe some friends. You want to go out together. And most of you don't want to do that, right? Well, come tonight and hear about the Pepto-Bismol moment because we need to make a difference. God wants to make a difference on both sides of the door. The people on that side and those of us that are going to be knocking on this side. And I'm really thankful for D.K. DK Tucker and for Everett Allen of putting that together. Where are you guys? Just so we know where the carpenters are. If you guys have some remodeling in your house you need done, just look to these guys. They'll help you out. But thank you guys for putting that together. Great job. And today is the last Sunday for the Galliers, uh, Barbara and Sam. And we want you guys to come up here. I know you don't want to. It's awkward. It's weird. But I, I told them, like I tell everybody, it's so important for us to know when people are leaving, they're retiring, they've got a... Um, RV. They're headed all over the country. Uh, you may be able to go along with them if you get your name in quick enough, but they're going to be having a great time. We're going to miss them. They'll be in and out from time to time here, uh, and we won't be the, the first stop always because, as you know, their son-in-law is the pastor out at First Baptist Church of Nome, and so they'll be stopping there as well. But we want to come together, those of you that, that know the Galliers well, maybe part of their class or small group or whatever, would you come up here and we want to pray for them as they leave? And as you're making your way up here, I know some people like, man, we just, seems like all we do is pray for people to leave. <laughs> so in August, what we're going to do is we're going to line up the whole front of the sanctuary with all the people that have joined because, you know, it, things have gotten a little bit weird with the pandemic. We don't do things quite the way that we used to. And so when people join, you don't know about that. So we're going to line them all up here in August. And we'll pray for them. And you can see who is coming into our church in addition to those who are leaving. So some of you guys, one of you just pray out. And we need to get a microphone up for you so we can hear you pray. But would you just pray over Sam and Barbara, you as a group, and then somebody just uh, lead us in a corporate prayer. I'm holding a mic here if anybody wants to do that. Matters not. good ref and we, we thank you for Barbara and we just pray your rich blessing in their lives as they uh, take another step in their experience in life and do some things that are a little bit different uh, some things that so many of us would long to do with them <laughs> um, and just pray that you would bless their way go before them uh, um, just uh, lead and guide and direct them in, in this uh, experience that they're willing to step out into um, and we just pray that they would remember uh, that people here love them in Beaumont and at Westgate particularly, and that they're always welcome and they're expected uh, to come back uh, and to see us and to spend time with us, that we might uh, be blessed by them and, and that we might bless them. We uh, thank you for their lives and ministry and pray that you would continue to use them in, in the new areas that they're going off into. And we pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We're going to miss seeing you on a regular basis, but we'll, well, we won't come over and watch all your slides and pictures when you get back, but uh, I'm, I'm dating myself by even thinking about that. It's all posted online these days, but uh, proud of you guys, and Barbara's going to wrap up her job at the end of the week, and Harvey's going to be in a world of hurt without you, I guarantee it. Well, we've been in this series about mandates. We're just a few weeks away from being finished with it. Uh, as we recalled last week, crazy enough, we're only going to look at fewer than half of the commands that Jesus has given us in Scripture. And if you want to go back into the archives on the website, you can, 
You can read about or you can hear about what we, we talked from the Sermon on the Mount back in 2019. Or you may just want to read through the Sermon on the Mount and be reminded of the commands that God has given us. But these are commands that God expects us to not just know, but to obey, because knowledge doesn't equal obedience. And sometimes we get confused with that. We want to pump as much knowledge in and say that we know all this stuff, but we want to know it well enough to be able to obey it as well. And last week, we talked about reconciliation. This is going to be part two, because that is such a big deal. Uh, I have pastored for over three decades, and I have seen the lack of reconciliation be one of the greatest detriments to people's lives and to the spiritual vitality of churches. Selfishness and unresolved conflict, they do so much carnage to us in our individual lives and corporately to the church. And so as we looked last week, we were reminded from Luke chapter 17 that the conflict's going to come. Sometimes we get kind of worked up, like conflict's not, a, not supposed to be part of our life. As long as we live in this world, we are going to know conflict in our relationships. And that's why Jesus instructed his disciples that when it comes and you're in conflict with someone, you are called as a follower of Christ to obediently forgive time and time and time again. Because we said last week, reconciliation is God's message and our mission from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Jesus died so that we could be reconciled with God. And then he expects us to be in the business of helping the world be reconciled with him and for us to reconcile with one another. He says that we are ambassadors of Christ for this very cause. So let's think about that one more time. Reconciliation is the message of God. He wants us to be reconciled with him and with one another. He doesn't want anybody to live in the tension points of conflict. Yet, he also wants us to realize this is our mission as his followers. What is the point of reconciliation? Just to say we did it? No. He wants us to live as God intends. We call that shalom. That is peace. It is living as God intends in our lives. As far as it is possible to you, Live at peace with everyone. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that we talked about last week. Romans chapter 14, 19, very similar statement. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and the mutual edification of one another, to have meaningful relationships that you enjoy with each other. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, God has called us to live in peace, to live as he expects and intends for us. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, part two of reconciliation and understanding this command. Not too long ago, I was reading about the Jones family who were renovating their house up in Crystal Lake, Illinois. This was last April, just a few months ago. And while they were tearing out some sheetrock, they found behind the wall two McDonald's hamburger wrappers and a full order of French fries. The markings on the wrappers indicated that that meal came from 1959. The burgers were eaten by the original builders of the house, but the fries were still intact six decades later. Just a warning if you're eating at McDonald's. Grace Jones said of the French fries, they were very well preserved. Friends, I want to tell you that when you have conflict in your life that goes unresolved, it lasts as long as those french fries. And some of you have stuff just like that in your lives. It is very well preserved, and it's gone on way too long. And so we're going to be talking about that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. From Genesis chapter 3, all the way into the reality of Revelation 21, we see the effects that sin has and will have in wreaking havoc on every one of our relationships, every last one. And nobody understands that better than Jesus. And that's why he gave us a pathway to redemptively deal with the conflict in our lives. This is important for us to know. Behind every problem, there's the result of sin. Sin is what leads to problems. It's our human nature that we want to address the problem. We want to fix the problem. We see that all around us in culture, right? There's a problem. We're going to fix it. 
But the problem is we do the go around and we don't want to address the sin that causes the problem. Sin is our greatest problem and it's God's greatest concern. And it may not be your greatest concern. It may not be my greatest concern. But sin is God's greatest concern. And he wants us to deal with it in a redemptive way. The only way that we can is when we begin to abhor, abhor sinfulness and have intentional steps to ruthlessly eliminate it from our lives. So that's why when he's talking to the disciples, he gives us these, 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 this command in, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, we're going to talk more about this in just a minute. I just want you to hear the overview of what we're going to be looking at. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Let's pray together, okay? God, we know that you give us your word so that we can live life as you have intended. You long for us to know what it is to be victorious through Christ. And we can't do that without the instruction of your word. We see today this mandate of dealing with reconciliation and brokenness and relationships and sinfulness. And Lord, it's real tempting for each one of us to want to kind of push that to the side and, and focus on something else. But I pray that you would open our hearts to be receptive, that you would, you would speak to us individually from your word about what we need to hear. God, that you would correct anything that needs to be corrected and you would make us exactly the people that you want us to be fully surrendered to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, taking the right path forward. Some of you like to shop at Ikea, uh, especially if you need exercise. Uh, I remember when, when our kids were living up in the Dallas Forward area, they would go up to Ikea, and it was a new experience for us. And man, I, I needed breadcrumbs to drop along the way to find my way out of there. Finally, going with them enough times, I kind of figured out the shortcuts to getting out there. You know, Ikea is very innovative, and they've come up with a very innovative circumvent for the supply chain. Rather than you having to wait months on end for a particular piece of furniture that you want, they will simply send you a tree trunk and a saw. Then you can do it. Send it over to DK or Everett. Well, I think in life, sometimes we feel like that's what God has done. He's just sent us a tree trunk with a saw, figure it out. But as we see in Matthew chapter 18, God has given us a very intentional pathway for dealing with conflict and problems and sinfulness in relationships. The pathway, the right pathway for dealing. Now, many of us have seen conflict dealt with in a very unredemptive way. Maybe we've even been a part of that problem. But God demonstrates for us several things that we can do when there's conflict that will help us in re resolution and reconciliation. First of all is to keep it private. Keep it private. It says in verse 15, if your brother or sister, and notice there, this is in dealing with fellow Christians. This is not that we have to go out there and get everything right with everybody because there is a tension point of they're not coming from a Christian worldview. They're not coming from a Christ-like perspective. He's saying, for you as brothers and sisters in Christ, when someone sins against you, this means that you have been offended and you have been hurt. You take the initiative by going and pointing out their faults. And we're going to see that that's not just like, you know, you messed with me. It is identifying sinfulness from a very humble standpoint of recognizing that we could just as easily be in the same position as they are, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. The way it's phrased here in the original language is to say, if we have a continuation of sin, this is not like one time you said something that kind of made me mad. This is a continuation, a pattern, a habit of sinful behavior, a repeat offender. 
And when someone is non-repentant, they messed up, but they're not going to acknowledge it, they're not going to apologize for it, they're not going to change. That's when you take this approach. You know, last week we made the reference about how many times do you forgive somebody. That's what Jesus is referring back to, is here's how you get to that point of bringing redemptive resolution. Keep it private. Clint, would you mind sharing? I, you will do a better job of sharing your experience than I will. So I've asked Clint to share his brief experience of what it means to keep it private in a time that he didn't really follow these directions right here at Westgate. You don't have to mention everybody's name, but be sure to mention Bob because he's kind of a key figure there. He is. Uh, there was an experience here at Westgate decades ago, uh, so it's nothing new. Uh, but uh, I was, there was a music, not a music minister, education minister here that had made some decisions that I didn't agree with, and I was in the education program because I was teaching Sunday school to young adults or college kids or something, I forget what it was, but, but I didn't agree with his decision, the direction he was going, and so I went to Bob and I said, you know, Bob, I need, I've come to talk to you about uh, your staff member. And he said, who? And I told him the name. He said, well, hold on just a minute. And he punched the, picked the phone up, punched the number, said, hey, Clint's over here, and he wanted to talk with you about something, so come on over. And hung up the phone. I said, oh, Lord, what have we done? <laughs> Bob's point was this. I need to talk to that guy first. I need to give that guy a chance to work through whatever my problem is uh, with what he's doing. And uh, that lesson has really stuck with me. Uh, it's uh, work through issues with your brother or sister uh, before you go to someone else. Uh, Great point. And Bob was a, a real blessing to me that day. He was a very wise pastor. You know, and I, and I, and I appreciate your transparency and your, your availability to share that because I could tell you more about that, but I think just experiences like that are so important to be reminded of this very point. Keep it between the two of you. It's so tempting for us to go out and complain to someone else, right? When someone else does something, we, first thing that we do, we want to go and complain to someone else. But it says we need to move towards a resolution, and when we do that, here's the thing. It staves off resentment. Let's just, let's just think about an experience that maybe you had in your life. It was you were in conflict with someone, but you didn't address them face-to-face. -face. You went to see Bob, and then you all talked about it. You kind of got amped up about it, felt a little bit better because you said something about it, but nothing happened, right? So time goes on, and you talk to someone else about it, and you're reminded about what a jerk that person was, and it stirs up resentment, and Jesus is saying, if you will follow this mandate, it will stave off resentment, keep the fire from spreading, and it will lead towards healthy resolution. Jesus' command is, is commanded here. Remember, we're talking about mandates. We're commanded to keep it private. And that way we can work towards it. You notice, remember last week in Luke chapter 17, we were talking about Jesus and when he was talking about how often we should forgive. He said, watch yourselves. Before he even addressed reconciliation, we saw about conflict. He said, watch yourself. Be careful. Because if we're not careful, we will step into a landmine and cause more problems. I want you to notice also that it's a responsibility of all believers. This is not a mandate to just Christian leaders. You know, people oftentimes come to me, just as Clint did to Bob, and they will, they will come as if we are supposed to solve other people's problems. We've seen that happen over and over and over and over. It's a responsibility for all of us. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, take responsibility for doing that. And if you do this, you have the potential of winning them back. The word won there in the original language means to gain back something of great value. And Jesus has just tipped his hand on this because he's given us the parable of the lost sheep. And which he says, that sheep is so valuable the shepherd will leave the other 99 to go after the one. It's that important. And when you get it back, you have won a relationship back. Some of you have, you have been through the reconciliation process with a very difficult situation. Isn't it good when you, when you reconcile, when you make up, when you feel those barriers broken down? It is a wonderful feeling, and that's what Jesus wants us to experience. But it doesn't always happen 
that neatly, does it? Keep it confidential. Notice what it says in verse 16. So we're keeping it private, but it may not work. So it says in verse 16, and, and again, hear what Jesus is after. He is after the sin that is causing the problem. And so he doesn't just say, well, if it didn't work between the two of you, tough luck. He has a process, a pathway to lead towards reconciliation. Keep it confidential, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It's part of the governmental process of the people of God that every matter needs to be proven by two or three witnesses. Maybe there's a question mark there. Maybe when you had that one-on-one, -on -one, they were saying, well, I'm not sure you're seeing this correctly, so I'm not going to back down. And so you bring two or three and say, would you help us to make sure that we're seeing this clearly? And then two or three can say, yes, there is a problem that needs to be addressed. It doesn't say take 10 or 12. It says take one or two. That way it keeps it confidential, so the matter can be addressed and it doesn't continue to spread. And then it goes to verse 17, keep it intentional. So we're going to keep it private and we're going to keep it confidential because we don't need to be spreading rumors about other people. And then keep it intentional because it says in verse 17, if they still refuse to listen. Okay, how many of us have given up on somebody or a situation because it wasn't resolved easily? Could we all raise our hand if we've given up on a problem because it didn't resolve easily? Yeah. The rest of you are masters. I mean, I'm amazed. You should be up here talking. If they still refuse to listen, you went in private. You took two or three with you. They're still unrepentant. They still refuse to acknowledge any sinfulness, any brokenness that is there. Then tell it to the church. You see, the purpose is not to take it out into the community, but to take it to the church because the intentionality that God has is that we would work towards reconciling, not towards spreading rumor or def uh, de defaming somebody's character. Very intentional. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, man, we've gone a long ways, haven't we? How many of us could say that we've gone this far with a problem? We've gone individually. We've taken two or three other believers with us. We're praying about it over time and process. Then we take it to the leadership of the church, and, and then they still won't listen. And then it says at that point, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Tough love. Love that is so tough that it wants the best for the unrepentant sinner. My wife is a master of dealing with tough issues in our family. I'm so impressed because my tendency is, like many of you, to just kind of back away. I'm going to let for it. It's going to work out, right? But I see her demonstrate this tough love to say this needs to be addressed. And that's what God's Word is talking about here. Let them experience what they say they want to stay in their sin. It's not punishment. It's a move towards reconciliation. It's helping them to see, do you really want to live in isolation from the rest of us who are trying to follow after Christ? And it makes a very important point that unrepentance is not an acceptable action for Christians. All through Scripture, all through the ministry of Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. I think way too often times, we kind of let that just slide by and say, well, that's just the way they are. That's the way it goes around here. That's happened before. And we need to say, unrepentant behavior is not acceptable. The objective is not punishment here. It sounds very harsh, doesn't it? I remember a guy came in, and he was doing all kinds of uh, unrepentant things, I guess you could say. And he came into my office, and we were talking, and I was trying to lead towards reconciliation. And, and he says, is this the part where you throw me out of the church? It's like, no. That's not our objective here. Our objective is repentance and reconciliation. That's what God is talking about here. He wants us to be reconciled, not to live 
with unresolved conflict. Reconciliation like this is a supernatural power. It's supernatural when people are reconciled through the power of Christ, and it requires the very presence of Christ. Look at verses 18. It says, truly I tell you, and here, listen with me for a couple more minutes. These are very important passages because oftentimes they're twisted in a different way. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Have you ever heard somebody on television talk about this? Out of context? Because what is the context here is dealing with an unresolved conflict of an unrepentant sinner, of somebody that doesn't want to resolve a problem in a relationship. And what's being said here is this is a reminder that God is at work, and what we do in a relationship here to try to work to resolve it is working hand-in-glove with what God desires. So, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's God working with us. It's not to say that we have the power to do whatever we want. It's saying if we're working in, in companionship with God, in obedience to God, then this will happen. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, you ever, ever, ever heard that? Let's get people together, let's pray in agreement, and it's going to happen, right? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that when two or three of you come together and you recognize this is God's will, we are managing this the way that God wants it to be done, then what you ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. God is in the midst of it. We say that sometimes about, about worship. Where two or three are gathered in my name, then God is there. And we, we acknowledge that. But if only one person is there, God is there. If you're a believer because God resides inside of us. And so this is all being said as to say that God is working with you, just like Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, gave us that example, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are desiring my will in heaven to be done on earth, that sin would be repented of and relationships would be restored. That's what this passage means. And when it talks about agreeing, it's to say that that word agree in the original language, that's the word from which we get the word symphony. Keith plays in the symphony. You know what the symphony is like? I love, one of my favorite parts of going to the symphony is when all you guys are practicing right at the beginning. <laughs> Horrible sound. But then you guys all come together you're all playing different parts, and it's beautiful. That's the picture here, is when we are working in symphony with God, then that's what it's talking about, this whole idea of agreement. What a beautiful outcome when we work together as believers with God for what He desires. So let me ask you a question, the same question I asked last week. For all of us, are you living as God intended. I know a number of you are reading through the Bible, and this week you're in the book of Judges, and again, it's one of those kind of weird books, but we're right in the middle today. We're, we're reading the very ending part of Judges, and when you get to the end of Judges, oh my goodness, that is a, anybody else reading that? Anybody else say that's wild? Read it today. Even if you're not reading through the Bible, go and read the last three, specifically the last two chapters of the book of Judges, because it reminds us of the bizarre situations that can be related to unresolved conflict. I mean, they start off with a problem that literally kills thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It reminds us of the consequences that can happen when we allow a problem to escalate. It leads to catastrophic proportions if we don't address it biblically. John, Judges 17, verse 6. There are two different times in the book of Judges that it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Meaning, it really doesn't matter what God said, I'm going to do what I think is best. And Judges 17, verse 6 is one of those. It says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 17, 6. Judges 17, 6. And then you have Acts 17, 6. Judges 17.6 says that when you don't do things the way God wants you to, your world will be com turned completely upside down. It will implode. But then in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, it talks about what Paul and Silas were doing in Thessalonica, and it says the world was made right side up. 
So we can choose. Do we want to do it God's way or do we want to do it man's way? And so many times in conflicts, we do what's right in our own eyes. And God is saying, do what is right as mandated in Scripture and the world will be as it should. Conflict is inevitable. Hang with me just a couple more minutes. I know this is a little bit longer than normal, but it's just a couple more minutes. Conflict is inevitable. And sometimes reconciliation doesn't occur. Some of you are living there. You know what that's like. Maybe you've already tried these steps or you haven't tried them and thus the, 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 the carnage is still there, the damage, the tension is still there. Our mission is to work towards reconciliation, always. If you're a Christian and there's brokenness in a relationship and you refuse to work on it, you're living in sin, as am I, all of us. When we refuse to not address it, we're living in sin. And I think we've taken too much of a pass throughout all of the 20 uh, and 21st century in dealing with reconciliation like this. We just let it go on. Romans 12, 8, 12, 18. If it's possible for you, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. But we all know that sometimes that doesn't happen. So we realize that most problems are to be solved, most of them. But some of them are problems to be managed. And we have to manage that in a redemptive way. We can go through this whole process and still not have reconciliation. And in that situation, then we must learn to manage it. And God can help you do that. God is more powerful than we can imagine. Last week, we used that illustration talking about many times we don't resolve conflict because we live as if God is dead. But God is not dead. You know, we look at the, the James Webb Space Telescope. Some of you are, you know, uh, interested in those kinds of things. I'm, I'm fascinated just with some of the information that's coming from there. Many of you are old enough to realize that when you looked up into the sky and you see the Milky Way, and it's like, man, I can't believe we're a part of that. Man, there's a bunch of stars up there. and Just, man, the universe is huge. Well, according to the James Webb Space Telescope, they're now confirming that there are 200 billion galaxies. And we're, our, our minds are such that we can't even begin to comprehend that. In fact, it probably doesn't even jazz us. It's just like, that, that's, uh, that just blows my mind. Just to count 200 billion, just to, to the number to count 200 billion, that's how many galaxies are out there, but just to count, counting one per second would take you over 6,300 years. <laughs> None of us could ever get there. We just have to keep passing the baton. 6,300 years just to count 200 billion. And then in each one of those galaxies, there's an average of 100 billion stars. And if you're reading through Scripture, at Isaiah chapter 40 this week, you saw in Isaiah 40, 12, it says that God has marked off the universe with the breadth of His hand. Now, we don't use that term a lot. Breadth, that means the width. So it's saying that God didn't even need the length of his hand to measure the universe that he created, that he spoke into existence. He just needs the width of his hand to measure off 200 billion galaxies that he simply spoke into existence. And then you continue on in Isaiah chapter 40, and you look down and you see in verse 26 that he says that he's named every one of those stars by name. So there's 200 billion galaxies times 100 million stars in each galaxy. And God has a name for every one of them. And some of you with kids, you struggle just to name two or three kids. And God has a name for all of the stars. So I want to say that kind of God definitely can empower us to reconcile the problems that we're dealing with. The greatest problem for some of you right now is that you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a, as a follower of Christ, I want to tell you that's the greatest need of your life, for you to recognize that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. All that we've talked about is impossible without a relationship to Christ. That's what we talked about. It's, it's a supernatural power to reconcile, and it requires a supernatural power of God and his presence in us to do that. 
And we can't do that on our own. We are alienated from God by our sinfulness, by our unrepentant sin. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. All we have to do to be changed for all of eternity is to repent of our sins and surrender our life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to lead in a prayer in just a moment. If you've never received Christ, I hope today would be the day that you would do that, that you would pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for the rest of us as, as Christians, again, keep thinking about, is there something that I need to be doing to reconcile a broken relationship in which someone has hurt me and I need to take the initiative to go out and minister to them? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words that give us guidance in life, such relevance. We see brokenness all around us, relationships that just come and go because people can't get along. And you have given us just a, a map to follow, directions, a guide, a template of how you have ordained for us through the church, through the body of the church, to redemptively resolve issues, problems, sinfulness. God, I pray that every one of us would have hearts that are repentant. None of us would be living in rebellion and resistance against what you would call us to do. Lord, we celebrate that in this room even now, we may have some friends that have never committed their life to Christ. Know how much we are praying for them and wanting them to cross this line. Some of our friends that listen online that are peeking in and just wondering, is this, is this real? I pray that they would give you a chance to prove that you're real. And they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh Lord, may we want to do that more than anything else. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a decision to follow Christ, become a member of this church, maybe you have a, a relationship that's broken and you say, you know, that all sounds, makes sense from the way you say it, but it's harder than it, than it sounds. And you want somebody to pray with you. Our deacons are going to be standing in the end of each one of these aisles in the back, so you don't have to come to the front. You can just go to the back and you can speak with one of our deacons as part of the triad of this month. I'll be standing over at the cross. I'd love to pray with you, help you out. Again, at the Connection Center after the service, you can stop by and just drop off a communication card. We probably need to take the address off of there because we're not going to stop by at your house unannounced. We're going to call you, set up a time that's convenient for you, or talk over the phone. But however God is leading you to respond during this time of final, final song of worship, let's respond as we stand together and sing.
stands an endless mercy tree. God bless you. Have a great day. See you back tonight for our book study.